0: It is time for the faded episode. It is time for the episode that Kenneth and I have been dreading for weeks. As always, I am Eric Van Allen, joined by my co-host Kenneth Shepard. I hate this game. Oh, God, Ken. <laughs> we we had to bring on a third person just to really, really live in how terrible this episode is going to be. We have on Josh Silverman of Constantly
1: Calibrating. Hello, Wonderful uh, to have you back, sir. God, I don't know how to feel about that intro. <laughs> I'm doing all right, but ooh, the, I, I'm part of the faded episode. The the faded episode. The faded episode, if
0: you will. If, if only we, we are were not faded for enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Josh, you've been on the show before. We we've mm-hmm. had you on plenty of times. We had you on for our panel at a uh, at Pack South. You are by no means a rookie to what we do here uh but just to let our audience know uh why this episode why this section of Dragon Age Origins
1: <laughs> um so I mean Kenneth gave me uh, gave me some options and uh there was I decided there, there was a few areas that I I understood and I knew there were a few areas that uh, I had experience with and then I saw a uh, the circle and the you know the fade was one of the options and I'm like, you know, what? much like my uh, my Andromeda appearance, I'm gonna have probably unique op- opinions on this and I like doing that, so let's go with this one. And I threw Redcliff in as a backup.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm already dreading what the unique opinions are because.
1: Oh yeah. <sighs>
0: listeners, we are going to the circle of magi today, uh, and oh god. Oh sweet Jesus! Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot. Um, Who Ken... greenlit this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. Uh, Ken, before we get there, it looks like we've got you've got some dialogue you want to go over before we get there that that you did with some companions in the campsite before we get there. So, any highlights you want to pull out that can potentially give us little glimmers of light, of, of hope and happiness before we get to the circle.
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the main people I, I spoke to were, like, Liliana, who, you know, she. it's a weird thing to talk to her now, knowing where she goes, because there's I guess, like, a slightly more sensible take on some of these things when you see her in Inquisition. But, you know, there's like a... I, I, it's something that I noticed... Is in origins is that I'm taking more of like a neutral inquisitive role when I talk to people about things in origins because mm. part of me is like I know I can't influence what's gonna happen in this game or early my phrase like what's going to happen to this character in the future so I'm more looking for exposition than I am trying to like have that sort of relationship like where I have conflicting viewpoints and like actually talk to people shit. so mm-hmm. generally this was just talking about how she, because, like, when you first meet her, she's like, The maker told me to help you. And I was like, Okay. Can you elaborate on that? That checks and out. Then, okay. Yeah, easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, so she talked about, like, she had a dream that she basically viewed as symbolism of the blight. And I was like, It feels like you're searching for reasons. Or, like, I don't know. That's a. It feels like you're searching for meaning and things that were mostly arbitrary, but fine. That's you. You do you. Uh. Sten barely would speak to me anyway, but somehow I ended up getting approval after the conversation was over anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Uh, Morgan was one of the more interesting ones because she talks about the story of Flemeth and, or at least like the popular story of Flemeth. And based on you know playing through all the games, we kind of know what parts of this are true and what aren't. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like it was. It's weird because like I, I like some of these characters eventually. But at the very beginning, there is this weird, like, this feeling of, like, inevitability to this game that makes me feel less invested to engage with it in a way that, like, you know, Mass Effect, I'm like, okay, I'll ask you questions, and I'll also have an opinion, and I'll also, like, put my viewpoint into this game, but now I'm like, what's the point? Mm.
0: I, I feel like in this game... I was thinking a lot about it because obviously the the, today the day we are recording this is the 10th anniversary of mass effect 2 Mm -hmm. and much like in mass effect 1 and mass effect 2 i feel like a lot of these characters don't become the characters that i end up really liking and caring about until i've seen them in other games and there is like some power in that feeling of like oh here's this returning face like I, i definitely think there is an element of when morgan shows back up in a later game you go like oh it's morgan awesome i remember this character she was at my party from the first one i want to know everything so there's that like element of novelty to it but i feel like at least early on in origins we are getting just a surprising amount of exposition without much involvement and i think that's i think to the point that's like because of the way the gray warden is set up they are very Mm -hmm. much intended to be like a player insert character like uh, like a much more a much more role-playing game character in the traditional sense where y- it's like you're playing a D campaign by yourself and you are playing the D character and it's not so much uh like what bioware did later on where you play a character but they're a little bit more loosely defined they have their own voice lines they kind of are their own character and you're just kind of piloting them uh, this is very much more like no you are the self-insert and things are happening around you and for you and to you but not necessarily in a more like back and forth sense that we've become accustomed to in more modern like video game role playing games
1: well i mean origins is such a vastly different game from 2 and inquisition it is it's not, honestly i would say origins is vastly different from even awakening cuz i feel like with when they got to the awakening expansion they had a better idea what they were trying to do, but as you said, you are a self-insert solo D D person in this very tactical RPG versus what comes later, which is more action-oriented, and you are a defined character. Yes, you get choices, but it's honestly they learned from Mass Effect for the later Dragon Age right? games. This is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is you're playing with toys on a table, and there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of story options and there's a whole lot of paths more than almost any other game they have. To the point that some of them are just, like, these; they're minor changes. They're almost unnecessarily minor changes. So you're just kind of dropped into this world and a lot of the characters. While I loved characters from the get-go, I loved characters from the start, and uh, still to this day, looking back on it, every time I've ever tried to go back to Origins, it's, like, it's a tough game to go back to. Tougher than, honestly, a lot of other RPGs.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I do think it holds up in some ways, even in this this episode this Mm -hmm. section there there are parts of it that surprisingly hold up and and like took me by surprise on replay here but this is a game where i at multiple points felt like i was playing a tabletop game in Mm -hmm. like a virtual setting like even just the way that the maps and the game design is set up uh, it feels like a tabletop game uh, in sometimes good ways. I was actually surprised a little bit. We'll get there, but uh, <laughs> in sometimes bad ways. Uh, so, where we're going for this episode, so we are now at kind of the, uh, as Bioware loves to do, you get through a big story section and then it all kind of branches out. And you go, okay, here are the things you can do at X, Y, and Z location that will build up towards the larger narrative. Uh, seen it millions of times before in, in mass <laughs> effect and and uh later on in dragon age as well uh but for this one we opted to go for the circle of magi first ken did we have a sp- like a, a, a reason for this beyond just eating our vegetables <laughs> like- uh,
2: the the main reason i had in mind is that the next step that we're going to do something ha- like there's like a branching point at the end of that mission that is largely contingent on whether or not you've been at the circle or not. So I figured it was best to have that to out of the it way. Out of the park early. Yeah, and so we can have that option and not have to like leave something on a cliffhanger for the next episode. That's time. fair.
0: That's fair. All right. I was just making sure we had a reason for doing that. <laughs> I need <laughs> as reasons <can. laughs> So. We're, we show up to the Circle of Magi with the intention of using our sick Grey Warden treaties to uh, get them to help us stop the darkspawn, the, the blight that is ravaging the land. And we get there, and beyond just talking to... So, by the way, I wouldn't talk to one of the, the people hanging out by the inn on the shore. Uh, and one of them, super racist towards elves so great tally that one up for this week one races towards elves (laughs) it really is like i'm constantly like that's maybe my largest takeaway from playing dragon age this time around is i've always played it as like the human backstory and so playing as the elven backstory i'm like oh wow this is a way different playthrough which is really interesting actually that like oh when i was a human everything was hunky dory happy all the time and then when i'm an elf i walk up and some dude's like Oh, I have never seen a pointy Ian armor like that. Where'd you get it? And I'm like, fuck you, me. Where'd I get it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy.
1: But that was like I, that. That was one of the things I loved. That origins. I mean, it was literally that aspect of the origins. The first playthrough, I was a human noble. The game played one specific way. The next one was a dwarf noble. The game played one way. Then I was a city elf for my uh, uh, my other playthrough of the game. And I'm like, wow, this is a totally different game. This this is this is not even similar. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I'm city elf this time, and I'm I'm really enjoying. Just I think if I did not have that difference in. Perspective, a lot of the story stuff would fall a lot more flat for me. Mm. And and I think that speaks to, like, the differences that they have in this game between, like... Again, we talked about this during Mass Effect, how the one thing I wish that Mass Effect would do is let us have that similar freedom to, like, explore playing as other races and, and yep. seeing the universe from their perspective uh, in first person. And I'm seeing a lot of that, like, be very rewarding and interesting here. So... Come on, Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but eventually, we learn that something has gone awry in the circle, and the Templar have basically lost control. So once we get across the boat, uh, across the uh, the lake to the actual circle, uh, we meet uh, Gregor, who is a knight commander of the Templar, basically in charge of the Templar garrison inside the circle. He is bar the doors uh more to keep things in than to keep other people out and he is talking about invoking the right of annulment which is uh they basically get to raise the circle to the ground because apparently there are just demons and abominations and all kinds of terrible things happening inside the circle it's kind of like what i would imagine how like a harry potter school would actually pan out in real life like i was sitting there thinking like how has this not happened at hogwarts before that someone just like summoned a demon and and things got bad but uh this is again we get that moment of oh are you going to side with the templar and say that yes we should like raise the thing to the ground and make sure that nothing bad gets out with like obviously the idea being that oh if these things get out they will cause chaos throughout the land at least here we have them contained and we can get rid of all of them even if we do terrible things to people who don't deserve them in the process or you have the flip (laughs) side of no we should value life and even if i think there's a line later on where it's like even if some maleficarum get out which maleficarum or whatever are like the i I guess you'd say like possessed mages Mm -hmm. they're like the mages that have gone bad uh
1: the ones that fell to the dark side (laughs) yes
0: which, again, is, like, super ambiguous, and we might explore later on in mm-hmm. other Dragon Ages what Maleficarum even means and whether that's hmm. a bad thing or not. But, uh, yeah, you, where you're saying, like, even if a few get out, that's that's worth the price of not having to kill innocent lives. Uh, Ken, I'm going to go ahead and say that I went with let's try and save some mages. Oh, uh, Let's try and keep the mages that's alive. Like, normal things to think. Yeah. How, how did you feel about... This one of our earliest introductions to You Have Two Outcomes in, in this mission, pick one.
2: It's a, like, so, something I put in the notes here is it's a weird thing to come into something that is treated like as a very much like a very tangential side story that is later portrayed as, like, the central event of one of these games, and I think, going back to stuff we talked about, like, you know, a couple episodes ago, The ways in which Origins kind of, like, makes these major events seem relatively small in the grand scheme of things is a weird thing about, like, how this game kind of tries to focus on everything at once. Hmm. So, like, I'm a a mage, like, I got here, Gregor knew who I was, said he was glad I wasn't dead, but I was kind of like, that sounds fake, but okay. And so, again, coming from... The perspective of a mage and like that being my perspective in this universe i didn't entertain the idea of doing the doing the annulment and it's a i don't really like and we talked about this too like i don't feel like the series ever does an adequate job of both sizing this issue
0: mm. yeah it's it's tough i i don't know like josh how do you feel about this stuff here
1: um, I mean, as far as it goes, uh, I chose I, so I, I've played through origins to completion, uh, I believe three times. Um, and the first two times, if I remember right, I did uh, despite the fact I said the second time I'm gonna do all the opposite choices. That was that was my plan. I ended up feeling it didn't make sense for that particular character. So I did uh, side with the mages both times. and then the last one like, well, I've never seen the Templar side. I'm gonna go with that one. And I remember it feeling almost hollow. like it was just there. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I mean, what was being said, you know, it's, they don't do good jo- – when you have such a binary choice where it's like choose group A or choose group B in a game, I want there to feel like the same weight. You know, yeah, maybe there's – this is clearly like the quote-unquote good choice and this is clearly the quote-unquote evil choice, but it kind of just felt like – um, I always felt like choosing the mages was the right choice and choosing the Templars was the other choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it just felt like it felt like another option you had. It didn't feel like there was as much story. It actually felt like it kind of uh, pigeonholed you a little bit. you know I mean um, it just it never it, it just never felt right and not in the oh, the game kind of thing. It felt like it didn't feel right like we just didn't quite know how we wanted to branch this part out.
0: I think one of the most interesting and most frustrating like just things in the Dragon Age universe is the existence of magic because it is always this really interesting thing where they get to explore these cool ideas I think even in this episode you see them explore some really interesting ideas like you know what kind of magic is allowed versus what is not uh how does this differ why does it differ who's telling us why that is and what reasons might they have for saying that besides like oh it might be dangerous but also uh, like the Fade actually like the Fade itself as a concept is really interesting I think throughout the series they end up doing some really interesting things with magic but then the way they try to handle it when it comes to making it a faction or making it like a side or or making it like one side of an argument always ends up falling a little bit short because Mm the only way they really have ever found to explore that idea is to be like, oh, well, if you fuck around with magic too much, these demons might show up and then you'll just become evil because now evil is just black and white now. You know, just damn demons. <laughs> and it's that's always really frustrating because I like the idea of I mean, we even have a little bit of it here, Um, and I'm bringing this up now because I think it presents a little bit more of where this could be more nuanced. Uh, If you have a high enough approval at this point, Morgan will ask you to search through the tower. Uh, She believes that Flemeth's Grimoire is somewhere in the Circle of the Magi, and that will start like one of what I think is one of the better side quests in this game. Uh, because not just because of how it plays out throughout the game, but just because it is something that is so interesting and fascinating. But you could just like completely miss it if you just never bother to like get approval with Morgan and chase this particular quest line. But as you go through. The different things where you can be like oh well you know why didn't you tell me like what's in this grimoire and you can ask like this sounds like it might be dangerous and she's going like oh don't worry like mages here couldn't understand it only i would know how to open the tomes and and read the language that my mother would have written in and only i would understand this branch of magic and you go like this still sounds dangerous and she she says something like if you believe like all pursuit of knowledge is is inherently dangerous so if you believe that i will not handle this with care then simply deny me of it and that will be that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but if you want to see this as much as i do help me find this grimoire and i thought that was like fascinating as because normally you know that might turn into a situation where it's like well if you don't do this for me i'm leaving the party or whatever but she's just literally like look we both know that this could go to shit so if you want to be the voice of reason here and say no we should just leave well enough alone okay but if you if you are curious about this like i am let's do this and i was like that's a great way of like exploring this th- like magic the idea of we don't know what this might do but this knowledge drives us and instead magic is always as we quickly find out in the tower it's like oh well the mages got a little upset and so they turned to blood magic and now they're all evil <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's it's a frustrating thing to keep uh running into uh and I, so let's let's keep going with the morgan plot here because i as i assume we have all chosen to try and save some innocent lives here uh we venture into the tower and find Wynn, who we would have met uh earlier on at ostagar she has survived and she is helping some children survive uh by putting up a barrier against the demons just outside of the room where the templars have holed up and win uh wants to join us and basically journey to the top of the tower and try and stop whatever has happened uh whatever is going on where all these abominations and stuff are coming from and here is where we get the most cartoonishly stupid like (laughs) other side devil's advocate point of view from fucking morrigan man like of all the characters to deliver this, Morgan butts in and is like, you know, Wins like, let's stop the right of annulment. Let's not let this place be raised to the ground. Like, the circle can still be saved. And Morgan's like, no, you let yourselves be enslaved like cattle. Let's let them die like cattle. And I'm like, <laughs> holy <laughs> shit.
2: <laughs> the Kanye West, that, this feels like a choice thing that she says. Like, I, I get that they, like, because they want to double down on like, one, they want to have somebody that argues the other side of anything. That's a Bioware thing at there's this point. There's
0: so many other characters that
2: can do that. <laughs> and they also... <laughs> and they also, like, they want to show the approval system, because, like, if you keep going, you lose some approval from Morgan. I... It's like, why did you have... You have this character, of Morgan, who is, like, at this point, fairly reasonable. Like, she... I mean, she is, you know, portrayed to be, like, kind of shady, something like there's something going on, which, you know, eventually comes about at the end of the game. And you come up with, like, the most unreasonable, impossible-to-follow logic, and you've got to let her be the the arbiter of that, that throws that idea out there, like, nah, what if we just killed them because society has been molded in this way, that this is where mages end up, but that's their fault.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay, so as the Morgan defender on this podcast uh which i mean i think we all like morgan i don't think anyone oh, yeah. in this podcast does not like Morgan. josh morgan fan
1: oh yeah no no, absolutely look I'm a, I'm a farscape fan so i was a fan just because claudia <laughs> black was voicing her Fair. like then the character is actually good so uh but
0: it, her, her perspective is always interesting because she is she's a mage that was raised completely outside the system So, like, to her, the idea of apostates and circle mages and stuff like that is all just completely novel because she's basically both A, completely outside of it, never had to deal with it in her life, and B, also, like, probably so powerful that no one could ever, like, make her go to the circle or anything like that. Like, they would not be able to stop her or contain her. So she just finds it all, like, trivial and funny in a way. But I think if if the attitude you have is you need somebody to advocate for the right of enrollment to say like, why this is the right idea here. And now you have, you have Alistair who is a former Templar who might say like this, you know, he can provide the, it might be messy, but this is the best way of handling it. Or you have Sten, who is like that would be very in character for his for him mm-hmm. to be like, you know what, we just got to do what needs to be done. It's not going to be pretty. We're not going to be good about it. And I think even later on, you get approval points for making decisions like this with Sten in the party. So having Morgan deliver this little soliloquy right here is just ridiculous. I don't it's know, so it's...
2: dramatic too. Like she. Yes. Like like, like she's been she...
0: thinking about it for a while. <laughs>
2: Ugh. It's like it, it's one of those things where like I have to be very blatantly aware of how the systems of a BioWare game work to not mm-hmm. let that sour me on that character because it mm. is it borders on caricature. I I can't stand that they did that to her. Yeah.
0: It luckily she gets better moments as this game goes on. So
1: it's one of those things I feel like that kind of was uh, an issue with Night's Solar Republic as well and became less of an issue. Uh, And was an issue also with, like, the ending stuff of, like, Mass Effect 1, and it became less of an issue with, like, the later dragons and later Mass Effect games, where they're like, well, we need someone to say something Mm -hmm. similar to this content, and you chose these two companions, so we're going to just record every companion making some variation of this speech for both sides of it, and we have to now present this to you. And it's like, cool, but this makes literally no fucking sense for this character to say this. So... Like there, are, there are scenarios where like
2: Garrus can be the person that's like advocating for letting the council die or Caden uh-huh. or Tally. Like these characters are like fairly sensible people that are like not Aryan towards the side of, side of renegade. Uh-huh. Which is why they letting the just...
0: council die is the right choice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's but but that's that that's literally what it is. Is they they the early writing for everything pretty much Mass Effect One, Dragage Origins, and earlier for Bioware stuff was a lot of. Okay, we, we, there wasn't a lot of nuance. It's like we're, we're a choice based gaming narrative company. So we have to give you all the options because we don't know what you're going to choose. And I think it's something they got better with in later games where it's like, okay, you know what? You chose Tally for this mission or you chose Aveline for this mission for whatever game you're playing. You know, you chose these people. Ergo, this is actually what they're going to say. And if they have a second option, it's still going to be a variation of this thing kind yeah. of thing versus the early days which was we just really just yeah need everyone to have a paragon comment we need everyone to have a renegade comment and it's,
0: it's bizarre but uh i mean we recruit win because god knows you need a healer in this game like the which the is also my better. issue
1: with choosing the Templar side because if you choose the Templar side from the very get go you kill Win right up front and I've yeah. done that playthrough and it's not a good playthrough. I don't like necessarily <laughs> as a character but you need her. Like yeah,
0: I think there's a lot in this game where you can mix and match with the party and stuff, but I think Win is the you always need this character in your party. You have to have Win in your party. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, unless I... you're playing a healer yourself. Yeah. 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 Which, it's, that's not fun, honestly. <laughs> no, at, at that point, you just, like, play Alistair instead. Mm-hmm. And you just let your main character kind of run around when they need to. But, like, this was, I, I will say, as we recruit win and start moving up through the floors of the tower, the, the dungeon design is very, like, it's basically the same as the one that we had in Ostagar where you're climbing the tower. Like, it's very, here's yep. the main path, here are some side rooms you can go into to kind of look at stuff. Uh, They will probably have enemies, but also some treasure in them. The treasure is largely meaningless because all the equipment (laughs) in this game looks doofy. Ken, you need to tell the story of what you are doing right now in this game because of how bad the equipment looks. Oh,
2: so uh, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know that hasn't played Mage, uh, the general aesthetic of Mage characters for the first two games is uh, really dumb. Really like they're all kind of samey we get for different color schemes of these same robes that look kind of dumb so i just kind of elected to remove my armor and walk around naked this entire game and this has been working out real good for me so
1: far <laughs> i mean I, I support that entirely because the mage armor whatever you want to call it, the mage robes are awful mm-hmm. yeah no
0: i was um i was the hats Ken, are especially bad oh they're so bad i like i picked up a few of them in the tower and i was like Oh, magic resistance. I need this. And I put them on some characters and was like, No, never mind.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing, like Morgan has a very specific aesthetic. She is mm-hmm. this goth queen character, mm-hmm. and the moment you upgrade her armor to anything other than like one of her specific things, it's like oh, this literally ruins this character. <laughs> so yeah. you just...
2: This game like Origins have no visual identity. And that no like with the exception of somebody like Morgan who I mean, she still looks like that, and it holds up the design does in Inquisition, and it's it's a nice thing to see. Like when you see characters reappear in like Dragon Age Two or Inquisition, and see that they've got something that looks a little more iconic, like looks very distinct. But everyone here is just like swapping clothes around, so nobody really has that really distinct quality of something like, you know, by the by by like Inquisition Iron Bull Dorian everyone mm-hmm. in that game yeah. looks very distinct, like somebody that you could easily pick out of a crowd.
0: I, I was thinking about this in regards to, like, Mass Effect 1 as well, because you had a lot of armor swapping in Mass Effect 1 yeah. where you could wear different armors that all kind of, especially the human armors, all kind of looked generic and samey, and, you know, they'd always have little twists, like Ashley's would always be one set of colors while Cadens would be another and Shepard's would be different. But I think the... The thing that changed between Mass Effect 1 and and Origins and then going into, like, Mass Effect 2 and and Dragon Age 2 and stuff is they started thinking more in terms of sets and, like, the idea of armor that looks congruous as a whole rather than picking up armor from enemies that is, like, their armor that you're basically taking them off that body and and wearing it as your character. Like, the idea that you want a character to stand out and not look like just another, like, similar to the pawns that you are fighting. And by inquisition they really nail this i remember liking a lot of the different options in inquisition for for armor and stuff like that but uh early on yeah it's it's rough i've i yeah. have upgraded weapons i have not i have not upgraded any armor for any character i've just left them with their basic stuff uh which even for the gray warden like sucks but is what it is uh i'm not confident enough in my my gray warden rogue to just run around in the nude like ken has (laughs) (laughs) uh but i will say the combat in this section so the reason why i asked why we came to this part first is that the combat in this section is actually pretty difficult in some parts Mm -hmm. and for once i finally was like okay you know what I'm, I'm having situations where I'm getting bottlenecked or for some reason, Morgan is in like melee range with a giant demon or something. Why is this happening? Stop doing that, Morgan. So I was like, okay, finally, I'm going to start making use of the thing that like if, if the origins were one thing about Dragon Age that everyone talked about, the other thing was like the tactical view where you, you can like zoom the camera back and go top down and kind of pause and issue orders and then resume, uh, which kind of became Dragon Age's big gameplay thing that it had over Mass Effect and other games. Was that you had that kind of tactical pause. You even saw it repeated in later games, that mirrored a certain style like like greedfall did, where you could have that like tactical pause. Uh, and combat's better now. I'm not saying it's like great. There's still parts of it that are rough, but even just zooming things out, kind of managing my my team like an RTS almost. And then just, mm. uh, I mostly don't even, I'll usually like pilot my main character once I've gotten everyone into place. But the actual tactics, like the the AI is doing a good job of just healing when they need to heal, using spells when they need to use spells. Uh, Alistair does a pretty good job of keeping aggro on himself. Like my team at this point is Alistair, my Gray Warden Rogue, and then Morgan and Win, and that will probably be my lineup for the foreseeable future. <laughs> but uh, it felt better it, at this point, mostly because I was starting to feel like enemy composition was getting interesting. There were different types of enemies. I had to think a little bit about how I was positioning in different rooms. Uh, we're we're finally getting to a point where the combat does not feel god-awful. It just feels <laughs> awful.
1: I'm so relieved to hear people refer to the combat as that, because that's what I've said for years. Like, when I first came to Origins, um, I had like barely played anything remotely approaching a tactical RPG, mm-hmm. and I had re- I really wanted something because, correct me wrong, Origins came out after Mass Effect 1, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I wanted something a little more action-y, and it was like, oh, it's tactical, but I really want to play a Bioware game, and it sounds interesting, and I'm like, and I just couldn't swing the combat to the point that, yeah, so coming back to it over the years, I now still play it, this, even though I understand tactical games now, um, I still play it the same way I originally did, which is just no tactics, uh, I, I power level my character before I ever leave Ostagar up to like level 25, the whole team, oh and then... That- And then I just, there's an easy way to do it. It actually takes like an hour, um, maybe an hour and a half. But it's like, there's a very easy way to do it. I do that every time. And I'm just like, yep, no, I'm just going to bum rush this game on normal difficulty and not actually learn tactics, even though now I do, because I just never liked, I just never liked the feel of the combat. People yell at me all the time for that. No, I think it's a
0: perfectly (laughs) valid thing. And I think the only reason I'm enjoying it now is because I've played games this last year, like. Fire Emblem's an obvious one. like That is just a straight-up turn-based tactical RPG. Um, Which I love. But, oh, my God. I love Fire Emblem. Uh, but uh, I think playing a game like Greedfall, where it tried to do those things, but then mostly just ended up being The Witcher uh, in terms of combat, I was like, oh, you know, I remember how Dragon Age, like Inquisition in particular, made me really think about the tactical view and, and have to kind of position characters out and think about who was aggro and who was in the back line who was in the front line like whether i was hitting for the right areas and how i was combining spells and so once i uh there's a special fight that you can get here that's part of the black vials quest i think where you can like bust a phylactery and fight a super powerful revenant uh once i hit that and he kicked my ass the first time i was like okay maybe i should actually start to think about this stuff uh and once i got into that mindset it was like every almost every combat that involved an actually difficult enemy that wasn't just like a bunch of skeletons swarming you or whatever uh, i would hit the pause button i would zoom out i would get everyone into position i would kind of survey the land i would make sure i knew where the choke points and stuff were so i wasn't getting anybody like trapped in a corner and i was like hey you know there's there's stuff going on here maybe by the end of this game we're going to have some interesting encounters that will force (laughs) me to actually think and enjoy this a little bit more also like my character's starting to have some more interesting abilities that are making playing it like more fun
2: well i was gonna ask like have you picked a specialization yet
0: uh no i actually did some research on which specializations i could get at this point uh one of them for rogue I think I could have bought the manual for ranger at this point and been a ranger, but otherwise uh, to be an assassin, I need to talk to Zevrin. Mm-hmm. And obviously we won't be able to do that until after this episode. And <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting all froggy today. Um, for the other one, I can't remember what one other one is, but for duelist, which is the one I actually want uh, for my level seven, uh I need to talk to Isabella and either beat her in a card game or uh, spend the night with her, and then I'll get Duelist specialization. By the way, Ken, I did my research. I did my research. Mm -hmm. So, last episode, we were talking about how there is a romance, not even really a romance, just an option to uh, have up to like a foursome or whatever in this game. I did my research. The... I think both the male and female warden can have the foursome because it involves Isabella, Leliana, and Zevran, And Leliana and Zevrin are both bi characters, I believe. Mm -hmm. You're you're correct. I I know that is at least possible. And then there are also other combinations that are possible where it's like Isabella and Leliana and the warden or like... I. you, could, you can
1: involve a hardened Alistair as well. Yeah,
0: Alistair can get involved, but not with Zevrin. Uh There are, like, a bunch of different combinations for that specific one. There are also, like, things that happen where, like, if Morgan is in the party, she will get very upset with you. Uh, yep. If Ogrin is in the party and you bring in Leliana and Zevran, Ogrin will just faint, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, it's... I was actually surprised by the number of options that were in this, uh, in that specific one. But I wanted to make sure that mm-hmm. we got that, that info out there so the listeners at home know we're doing our research about the infamous Origins Forsome. You
1: know, we're yep, on top I've, of that. There's a whole lot of shtupping uh, and a lot of things you could do just to become a duelist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but hey, look, I want to be a duelist because that one's like the most interesting and definitely like fits my play style the most. So
1: duelist is good for rogues duelist and assassin i think is what i usually do yeah
0: I right. i'm going dual daggers so that seems like the best option obviously mm-hmm. i don't want to like skill into ranger and and stuff like that if i'm not using bows at all uh mm-hmm. anyways as we as we get further up the the tower uh we have a few interesting encounters we meet a blood mage well a group of blood mages who just pretty much attack you on site because oh they're blood mages evil uh that's when we kind of so we both get our setup there, which is one of them kind of surrenders at the end and you can choose to either kill them or spare them. And I think if you have certain things checked, you can tell them to like join the mage army, basically like help you fight the dark spawn as a way to like redeem themselves for what they've done. But, uh, you, this is also where we get the thing about the litany of, Oh, I forgot the name. It starts with an ai and we'll find it. Don't worry. Ken, don't tell <laughs> me what is it? What is it, can. It's the litany of Do I tell you or not? Uh, It's the litany of... Of Adr- A Adral? Adrala. Is it the litany of Adrala? I can't mind that's to say what's... Andraste, but that's not right.
1: No, Adrala is what's popping up on search for me. Yes,
0: okay, litany of Adrala. It's it's the litany. You need you need the special book that stops... <laughs> you need to get lit. The, yeah, you need to get lit to stop the mind control powers <laughs> that the, the blood mages have. uh (laughs) Uh. um but then we also run into a desired demon who has taken over a templar and kind of (laughs) put him in a trance of swords, where he is living out this fantasy that he has always held uh that he can never actually have so basically he has taken the vows to be a templar so he cannot like he will be a templar until his dying day uh he cannot have a family or whatever from what we were told and uh he has secretly always held that desire which he will never be able to have it so this desire demon who has gotten out into the circle because of all the hijinks that are happening with the fade and all that uh has taken over this templar's mind and basically says like hey be chill this is all i want i'm going to like basically suck the life out of him and live in this world and in exchange i'm letting him live his fantasy for as long as he lasts uh like be chill about this and (laughs) casual this is actually one of the more interesting choices in the tower i think because i'm gonna be honest i let him go i was Mm -hmm. like i was like you know what this dude first of all this dude got to survive many other templars did not get that lucky of a fate uh i've killed many of them that had a much worse fate on the way up to this tower uh and he's you know i know i can't fully trust what the desire demon is saying but i would not be surprised by that also there's a very low chance that either of them makes it out of the tower alive so if they are just going to try and have a little bit of bliss for the time that they have on this mortal plane whatever go for it uh i'm interested to hear what you did ken
2: uh i was not having it and the it sucks that the only way to like separate the two means that you have to kill them but i'm just like i don't like isn't, isn't that like the whole point of what we're doing we're trying to stamp out all the demons here
0: i'm mm, see i saw i saw it as we are trying to stop the root of the issue like the there is something that has gone terribly wrong at this point so i mean we haven't talked much about the the a plot that's been advancing up to this point but at this point we know that there is uh, there's been a breakout of some kind. There's been an overthrowing of the uh, of the circle, and it's it's highly theorized that the 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 old I'm so bad with names today. I'm so sorry. Can't <laughs> um, help me out. It starts Wait, with a U. In... Aldred. Oh, what? Aldred. Aldred. Yeah. I kept going. I kept wanting to call him Oldar. I was like, "That's not right." Aldred, mm-hmm. Aldred. Uh, that Uldrid has like overthrown the Circle and and was basically his 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 story is kind of interesting though. I feel we never really get the full picture of it. But basically, he comes back from Ostagar, uh, saying that, "Oh, we should side with Loghain now because uh, Loghain, when he takes power, will let us break free of the Chantry." Uh, there was a meeting that was held to discuss this, and during the meeting some abominations and other hijinks started breaking out and that's when the circle went to shit so uh we are venturing to the top because we have a have a rough feeling as as Wynne calls it a, a woman's intuition that Uldred is at the center of all this and there is likely some blood mage hijinks afoot as well but um it's I don't know I I see it as our our thing here is that we're supposed to be taking down Uldrid, we're supposed to be stopping the actual bad stuff, and... I don't know, I was just kind of like, whatever, this desire demon just wants to hang out for a bit, and this Templar, who should, by all accounts, just be dead, is at least getting to like live a little bit of his fantasy before he dies, so whatever like y'all chill i've got other problems i need to solve right now if i see you on the way back don't let me catch you again basically (laughs) like Mm. uh i don't know i thought it was one of the more interesting like decisions in this because it really does ask like you are going to have to kill this guy to stop this so like are you okay with that are you okay with that being the outcome i mean he's going to die either way but how do you want him to die uh I thought that was an interesting way of framing things. Uh, mm-hmm. But now, Ken, we, we've we mm-hmm. come to the part. We go into a room, and there is a sloth demon. And he Hanging makes out. us very, very sleepy. <laughs> and when we wake up, we're in a magical place called The Fade. Uh, so, Ken, you, you've been here before already in your story. I have story. been here before, Yeah. You, yeah you have explored the fate already not quite like this no. uh so after a, a little conversation with duncan who who is magically alive again we kind of realize that things are awry and we are actually inside a dream created by the sloth demon and we meet neal who is the the dude who's supposed to have the litany who is supposed to be trying to stop the blood mages turns out he got trapped by the sloth demon too he's stuck in here too and we get introduced to this giant map thing where we jump around between dream worlds, and we turn into different shapes and forms, and we like Metroidvania our way through the Dragon Age. And dear God, Ken, holy God, Jesus, who <laughs> I I just want to like momentarily say to the testers that had to test this game, holy shit, you are saints. You should give be them a <laughs> In the halls of Bioware, there should be a plaque that bears your name for anyone who had to play The Fade more than once. Like, oh my
1: god. So, here's my controversial opinion no. for the episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, god. So, no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I understand people's issue with The Fade. I mean, there's one thing, if you if you are a fan of Bioware games, there's one thing almost all Bioware fans universally agree on, right? It's that the fade sucks, and uh, and that seems to be a thing. I I didn't dislike it until my third playthrough, and I finally figured <laughs> out. But like, because here's the problem with me like with these games um i again we already said i didn't really like the gameplay of origins what pulled me in and kept me replaying origins for my first two playthroughs was i liked the story i liked the i liked the info dump i liked the exposition i liked all that and the fade gives you a lot of that and a lot of stuff to ponder i already didn't like the gameplay at this point in my life so it was like it it didn't matter to me almost um i was fine just brute forcing my way through stuff it the all those things just never really affected me, so I always had this, I guess, comparatively positive outlook on what the Fade was. It wasn't until later, my third playthrough, that I really started thinking about it. Because the way I typically play Origins, I've, I've, I've changed it up a little bit here and there, but is, you know, from Red Cliff to your scent to the Circle, because those two are you know, interwoven, and then you go to the Fade, and then back to the Circle, and then back to Red Cliff. And it wasn't until my third playthrough that I was like, holy crap, this just feels like one very long mission and slash fetch quest. Mm. And that was when on that third playthrough that it started bothering me Uh, when I was like, oh, because the way it interacted and the longevity and the fact that I very much enjoyed doing everything at once. So holy crap, this just feels like forever. So long rambling tirade cut short here. I I get people's issue with it, but the nature of it just being this info-dumpy kind of place always appealed to who I was as a gamer, at least, you know, circa, what, 2009 to 2011 era. Mm. But, yeah, the Fade sucks, as far as design goes. As someone who actually works in the industry now and actually sees how video game works and has seen how the Fade was done better, it's not great, but done better in later Dragon Age stuff, I, I get it, but... I was that asshole who never understood why people hated it for a very long time.
0: Yeah, Ken, let's let's hear your take because I, I in your notes, you basically at, at some point just say I'm not taking any more notes because it will just be mixes of letters and exclamation points. Like <laughs> how do I, you feel? So there
2: are aspects of it that I think are interesting, which is so basically, to progress, you have to be transforming into, like, one of four different forms have access to different things, whether it's a mouse they can go through, like, small holes or a golem who can throw rocks at, like, massive locked doors. I think that aspect is interesting, like, you know, using all these different forms to navigate through something that is... Because, like, you talk to, what's his name, Nial, and he's like, there are all these obstacles in the way, and there's always an obstacle in the way. But... You get all these forms, and you're able to kind of leverage them to make your way through things that nobody else can. I don't understand why... There's one place in particular that everything is basically randomized, and you have to... It's like a lot of memorization involved. So, like, something that could theoretically be maybe, like, ten minutes long ends up being hours long, which is what... what What's the point of frustration for me where I, I finally ended up putting the game down for the night, and then I finished it early this morning? Because I can't stand it's like so like we, we talked a lot about how Mass Effect Andromeda is a game that wastes your time a lot mm-hmm. and it does it by making this huge world that you have to like travel across and makes it very obtuse to get through. I didn't I felt more frustrated in this small very tiny section of Dragon Age Origins than anything of that, of, of like a Mass Effect Andromeda scale has ever made me feel because it, it is like it is a, the type of padding that is not from, like, distance traveled. It is in making something as obtuse and convoluted as possible. Where even, like, you look at guides for... Like, I, I, I admit, I pulled up a guide for some of this stuff. And it's, like, the solutions to things are so ridiculous that the guides themselves are almost, like, illegible to me. And that's not the issue in, like, every single instance of the fake. like, you guys are, like, I think five different islands of this thing and they all have various issues and some of them are fairly straightforward but then some of them become so like i like why did why did they have to drag it out so much like i'd want to say a solid like three hours of like the 10 hours i've put into this game so far was dedicated to this shit and i don't know like how, like, how were testers not frustrated with us? How were people, like, of course people in Bioware were probably less frustrated because, like, they knew the solutions. But it's, like, there was a point probably, like, 11 years ago where I got this without all the guide, and I don't know how I did that. Like, 17-year-old me, fucking genius. Like, that, give that kid a medal. <laughs> I
0: I remember I was, okay, so, I remember playing through this the first time. And, and I've played through this, Two times and I-, I was having the same thing where I was like, How did I get through this without a guide, just like trying to get through it normally? And and the thing we haven't mentioned yet, so like you're trying to get to the center of the fade because that's where like the sloth demon is, right? You're trying to get out of the dream by killing the sloth demon. And mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're kind of getting a little bit of exposition from Niall as as you go through. You know he's telling you like this is probably just like the domain of the sloth demon, and there are other like smaller demons that are hanging out in here. Uh, you need to break through these different islands, so you have this whole map that you're kind of jumping from place to place on. You're using mouse holes and things like that to uh, open up new areas. Uh, eventually, you're getting. I it is optional, I believe, to. Awaken all your teammates, but I think if yep. you don't awaken them, they don't help you fight the Sloth Demon later. I think that's how it works. Right. So uh, you want to awaken them because soloing the Sloth Demon sounds like it would be very difficult. Uh, and so you're going through, and there are also all these other shrines and stuff where you can get these permanent boosts to your attributes that are actually extremely handy to have at this point in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because they're basically just free points, and and that's great. So, Ken, uh, remember how I told you before this podcast started that I was going to say something that was going to make you very angry? Yeah. Uh, so let me just break this down for you, uh, how my playtime at exactly uh, 11 o'clock last night went. I got to this point, uh, and I got up to Duncan, and I did the whole Duncan fight, and suddenly the fade came apart, and then I went to that first area where you learn how to turn into a mouse and i went through the mouse hole and then i opened the map after talking to neal and it was like here are all the islands you have to go to and all the forms and i was just going back through to my head and i said fuck this and listeners of the podcast may remember that i'm playing this not on the xbox 360 but on the on the pc (laughs) so uh i went and i typed into google skip the fade mod (laughs) And lo and behold, one saint out there has made a mod which you install very easy to install. And what it does is you fight Duncan, and then you touch the pedestal as you normally do, and it takes you to your first companion's nightmare. And then you do the companion's nightmare, and it takes you to the next companion's nightmare and you go through all your companions and then you're at the sloth demon and you fight the sloth demon and then you exit the fade and you have not only gone through all the nightmares but you have also it gives you all the points and codex entries that you would normally get from like 100 percenting the fade i cannot recommend this enough i sincerely think that this is the way the fade should have played out in the first place for the love of god if you are playing this game on pc even if it's your first time just use this freaking mod man <laughs> oh my god the experience was night and day so that is why ken will be furious with me for a while now uh but i have no regrets i have made <laughs> a choice that i feel was the right one
1: <laughs> and you, sac- you sacrificed the podcast host and a friend but i think it was worth look
0: <laughs> <laughs> i've i've played that thing twice already and it was like I was staring down the barrel of either staying up real late to finish it or waking up real early to finish it, and I made a decision. Uh, in, in some ways, you might say I adopted a new form in the Fade called the Mod Form, and uh, it was the most powerful of all the forms. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. <laughs> How you doing there, Ken?
2: it's fine just goes against the entire spirit of
0: the show but it's fine (laughs) (laughs) i will to atone for my sins i will go and i will watch a youtube playthrough of the entire fade and experience it that way i will sit there and i will watch it i will not put it on 1.5 times speed i will not play switch i will watch the playthrough and endure the hours Hmm. um but i was i also wanted to see how that changes up the pacing of the fade. In in all honesty, like I'm not just coming up with a bullshit excuse. I wanted to be like, because I knew of this mod, I knew of its existence before now, and I was getting to this point. We have had questions before on the podcast where people have asked us, uh, especially me, because I've been playing through all these on PC, uh, whether we've like checked out some of the mods, like in Mass Effect Three, the one that changes up the the pacing of the ending and stuff like that. Uh, and so for this one, I was really like, I really want to know what it looks like when you just see that like core content of the fade, and you don't go through all the form-changing stuff. And it it flows much better because mm. you're kind of it. It feels like what this game would have played like, what this section would have played like if you played it in Dragon Age Two or Dragon Age Inquisition, because you basically just go from dream to dream. And I think the dreams themselves are very interesting. They they have some very good character backstory. Um Alistair's in particular, I really enjoyed. Uh that you learn about his sister Goldana, and right. you kinda get him get to see him struggle. Like I felt like having the desire demon thing before like right before the sloth demon here was really interesting because we learned that Alistair is in very much a similar position where he has found himself locked into a covenant that he does not want to keep he wants to as he says like he wants to die happy he does not want to die in a pile of burning bodies under a bunch of dark spawn like he sure he wants better for his life and you end up having to be the one that talks him out of it and that feels like really bad uh same with like win win is just completely distraught because she believes like the other ones kind of all have hallucinations or illusions that make them really sad or depressed or whatever but i thought alistair's was very interesting in that regard uh morgan's is really funny because you just show up and she's like finally you're here this demon is trying to pretend to be my mother can we just kill (laughs) it (laughs) already like i really enjoyed that one um but i yeah i think that pacing would have been so much better and and you know take out take out all the free points or whatever that you get like i did feel kind of guilty about that but like just have it be you're going through these nightmares and you fight the sloth demon and i still just don't understand why someone it's like someone was playing metroid prime while they were like while they were making origins they were like hey let's do that wouldn't it be cool if you had like a morph ball (laughs) equivalent in dragon age and dude i respect the guts but come on (laughs) Mm. oh okay we fight a sloth we fight a sloth demon who turns into various different forms uh that's actually a pretty cool boss fight uh one i would say is arguably cooler than the one we're about to have uh oh yeah we get to we get to kind of just about the top of the tower where there is uh a familiar face hanging out inside a mysterious magical prison of sorts it's colin yay uh colin in his young radicalized youth (laughs) uh because at first he thinks you are he's one of the templar who is in the circle and he has been imprisoned and basically tortured by demons for a very long time uh and you talk to him and once you finally convince him you're not a like a malevolent illusion he's like oh hey uh, you should go into that chamber or whatever and just, like, kill everyone in there because there's just been all kinds of bad stuff happening in there. We don't know who's okay and who's not, so just kill everybody. And, I mean, I remember Cullen being fairly Templar-sided in Inquisition, but nowhere near this level. Nowhere near, like, burn the whole tower down level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, admittedly, he he's
2: gonna chill a little bit, but not before this happens, and then stuff in Dragon Age Two happens, so he's got a he's got a lot of soul searching to do over the next like ten years of Dragon Age. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is
0: it's about yeah, it's a good amount of time. I'm now realizing how much time there is between like because Dragon Age Two kind of takes place around or at least starts around the same time as Origins. So it's like mm-hmm. you got. Similar time window, but wow, uh, there's a lot of time between Origins and Two, and then like the end of Two, and then the like start of Inquisition. There's a lot that happens there. Mm-hmm. Oh man, now I'm just excited to play Two and in Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Big move. Yeah. Uh, Josh, how do you feel about Cullen as a character? I'm I'm interested. We might have you on for later. Episodes in later seasons and stuff, but I'm interested, like, right here, right now, to get kind of your thoughts on Colin.
1: I mean, Colin, as he pertains to Origins, so, um, I just strip, I did not play the Mage Origins story until after two. Um, it was one yeah. of the ones I just didn't like Mages in Origins, so I never wanted to play it, but I mm-hmm. finally did do, you know, a playthrough post two, so like you don't really interact with Colin all that much in, uh, in origins. You, if you, if you don't play a mage. And so my opinion of him, like as far as that goes, was just like, Oh, it's another character. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, he, he didn't, he didn't stand out for me knowing Colin as we do through two and certainly through inquisition. He definitely grew on me as a character. Um, that being said, he definitely falls in my take it or leave it people. I guess you could say, uh, Acquaintances. He is an acquaintance. He, he is a strong. I I I view him as an interesting character in two, and um, a advisor and nothing more in in inquisition. Mm, there are okay. too many. There are too many people in Inquisition that I never got a chance to, to have romances with slash bang. That like he's so low on my list of interests in that regard.
0: He does have some. Like I almost feel like he's the 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 comedy straight man in inquisition because i always remember him as being the one that walks in if you've done the romance scene with iron pole and like the way he's like oh my god uh and the way iron bull's just like chilling
1: there (laughs) he's definitely treated that way more so there's no question
0: I i remember him being like that and so i almost enjoy him more as as that and less of like this crazy radical templar that we get here which i get like even when is like, I understand why Cullen feels this way because he's literally just been tortured by demons for who knows how long. So I understand why he just wants to like raise it all to the ground and never think about it again. But mm-hmm. come on, <laughs> like it's a little excessive. Uh, a wee bit. So obviously we don't do what Cullen asks of us. Uh, <laughs> because I think actually if you agree with him here, either like right here or right... After the next fight, you then have to fight win. Um, that sounds about right. But that's vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah. There are like multiple. I mean, we talked about it last episode, but we're kind of getting into the part of the game where you can start to turn the loyalty of your party members, and they can either like leave, or you'll actually have to fight and kill them. And that gets kind of interesting i think it's explored better in in like dragon age 2 where you have some really hard decisions to make in regards to that oh man god how do i Mm. keep having these moments where i'm like wait dragon age 2 is way better than i remember it being (laughs) uh every time i think i'm like oh no it's it's actually good i'm like wait no it's even better uh i'm really looking forward to that game uh it's i feel like at least Origins kind of kind of sets up that interesting dynamic, and it's something that again I felt was always missing from Mass Effect. Was everyone is very much like, "Yay, Commander Shepard!" You know, you can have some cutscene decisions, let's say, that end up like either breaking loyalty or could later result in a death, like in Mass Effect Two in the Suicide Mission. You know, you side with Miranda or Jack, and then that might lose you loyalty which would then affect how they'd survive the suicide mission but dragon age has always had much more direct means of saying like no you did something that was so messed up that now this character just cannot deal with your shit anymore and is like leaving or is going to actually try and stop you and you have to kill them uh i think there that's one of the more interesting things that dragon age tries to do which again I'm thinking about Greedfall now. Greedfall also did some of that. That was very interesting. Greedfall, y'all.
1: I not- should play that at some point.
0: <laughs> it is. I mean, Ken and I talked at length about it uh, when it came out because we both wrote reviews of it when it came out as the resident Bioware people at our respective outlets. But uh, it was it was interesting to play as a Bioware fan. I would not like. It was not my game of the year list. Uh, It would have to, like, I would have to expand my game of the year list for last year out to, like, probably 15 or 20 for it to, like, rank at all. But it was one of the games that I keep thinking about, mostly because, obviously, we do a weekly podcast about Bioware games. But it did, the things that it ended up taking from Dragon Age and, and, like, the inspirations it took from Dragon Age were very interesting. And if nothing else, it was a way to play that, like, style of game. In 2019, which I'm still baffled that not many other like, you know, kind of mid tier studios have tried to imitate the Bioware style. You know, mm-hmm. we it's been around for a while now, and I feel like it's fairly solidified. And I feel like Grieffall came out and showed that like, hey, yeah, you can definitely do that like style of game mm. and have it turn out pretty okay. And in some ways, it was formulaic. In some ways, it definitely like did not achieve the heights that dragon age had but i i played through it and enjoyed it for the most part it was i mean i think i gave it something like a three out of five or 3.5 out of five and i'd still stand by that certainly more memorable than anthem oh yeah i mean that's (laughs) that's the other thing is like it's not like bioware is making these kinds of games anymore so uh god hope for dragon age 4 in 2022 or whatever it is at this point uh god <laughs> uh so we we head on upstairs we head on upstairs and and lo and behold here's here's our man oldridge just turning people into abominations just making making all kinds of mess ken i want to hear from you about this part because uh it seems like the dialogue was much more interesting if you do have a backstory with the mages which we have not talked about much but this obviously like your origin has factored into this Particular mission right. very heavily.
2: Yeah, I mean, because there have been like points, kind of throughout going up the up the tower, like Gregor, and so you get up here to Aldred, and uh, he he says that he remembers you as being like basically Irving's teacher's pet that mm-hmm. uh, he was talking up all the time, and you know, as south as that might have went by the end of the origin story, uh, and then he's like, but I don't, I don't see what's you know the big deal about you now and so i was like well i guess they'll have to show you through combat
1: (laughs) yeah let me stick my stave right up your ass
0: (laughs) it's um i mean so this is kind of an interesting boss fight because i feel like it was them trying to do something interesting with the mechanics of this game and like rewarding you for paying attention in a way because uh as you fight you know Uldred, who has basically become a giant pride demon uh, which is like one of the stronger demons in the game uh you also have to fight some other abominations that are just hanging out but as the fight goes on you will see these like magic circles start to appear and you basically have to run over and read the litany of andraste in the circle or else that mage will get controlled and turned into an abomination and start fighting you as well and I thought that was really interesting. Uh, That was, like, a cool way of them not just having a mechanic for a boss fight that made you have to think about one extra, like, plate to spin, but it was a way of rewarding players for being like, okay, you picked up... Because you could totally walk by the Litany of Endraste. You know, it was just on... You know, Nial reminds you, like, make sure you pick it up off my corpse. Please be sure you do this. But you could easily just be like, la-da-da-da-da, walk right by. And uh, then... I believe, so, in the PC version, at least, uh, I did not get call-outs to say, like, hey, use the litany now, or whatever, like, uh, I, and I looked this up later online, and apparently sometimes Win will say it, especially if you have, like, not been doing it, but uh, it doesn't initially, like, draw a lot of attention beyond her just saying, remember, we have this, if it seems like a mage is going to get taken over, you should probably use this, we have this tool uh but then it's just a, a thing on your command bar that you have to like pay attention to and you have to be aware that it's there and then be aware to use it when you do and I, I like that i thought that was an interesting way of making this boss fight which is otherwise pretty straightforward just a lot of like fighting one giant you know meat thing which doesn't yeah, it does some damage but you have wind now so it doesn't matter too much uh it made it a little bit more interesting a little bit more hopeful for some good boss fights as the game goes on. I'd look forward to being proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did you, Ken? How do you feel about this fight as as Mister Mage?
2: Uh, about the same. The uh, the one thing that like I kept running into was that when you know like the whole thing where they they're about to possess the mage happened almost every time like it was about to happen I was like my cooldown on the litany is not done yet and so I was like panicking and like basically pressing the ability wheel like several times it's yeah. kind of like oh right not, you, not you have the ability
1: it. wheel right yeah, Oof.
2: yeah. so it's like not to stall it out per se but to basically make sure i had the quickest opportunity to use mm-hmm. it before i didn't run out of time um and so i didn't lose anybody that way but it was still like at least nerve-wracking on that front like i also didn't really know why it was a cooldown anyway because you would think they would be spaced out enough it to, was
0: when know? i was playing it, it was basically on cooldown i was using it yeah uh cool. i i keep forgetting so like because i'm playing on pc i have the bar at the bottom and everything's on like my numpad keys so my like one through zero keys are all my different abilities mm. so i just had the lit litany map to like my nine key so i basically run over I, and again, I was playing in tactical mode, so it was basically like a strategy game where I just select my character, tell him to move over somewhere, and then hit the nine key, and he would mm. do it. And yeah. I'm beginning to see that that might be the the best way to play some of the larger fights in this game. Because... Yeah, and it was.
2: I was like, I was gonna say, that it was also an issue when I was, when I was in the actual fade because I was constantly unless I wanted to like set uh, like the transformations onto like my ability wheel. Um, I always had to like go into that and yeah. then like switch forms back and forth. but doing that also meant that I would have to get rid of like spells that I would use in combat just normally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's the whole thing, it's hardened for buttons is basically the problem. And like it is very much a game that's optimized for PC. And they finally, because like there's no tactical view on PC or on, on consoles, I mean, until Inquisition. And that was the I point thought, where
0: I thought hmm? two had one. Mm. I thought two uh, had tactical.
2: I don't believe so. At least, at least not on console. Um, okay. But uh, that was the point. Like in Inquisition specifically, when I had the tactical view and could uh, position spells and set up, like make different setups and like switch from character to character to coordinate attacks better. That was the place where I finally felt like I was getting all of these, like really interesting interactions. <laughs> where in here, I'm like, I, like I said before, I'm just cycling through cooldowns at this point.
0: Yeah. Uh, in the fade on PC, you basically have like a thing in the top right corner that has all your different forms, and you just like click whichever one mm-hmm. you want to turn into, and then like click it again to change back. So yeah, gotcha. it's definitely a PC focus game. I think you could tell by this point. Um, so w- once we kick this dude's ass and, and get, I- I'm assuming we both saved Irving, uh, because mm-hmm. we used the litany and all that. Uh, we we go back downstairs and we're we're kind of given like if we have not made a choice by this point we kind of have to make a choice at this point where we have to either uh save the mages or there there are three outcomes to this and that's what i think is kind of interesting here so like you can either just let the mages take back over the tower and like have everything kind of go back to normal which is actually like if you just kind of turn the thing over to gregor and say like what do you think he's just like whatever everything's cool now everything's taken care of irving's back Let's all just go back to normal and try and get things rebuilt. Like you can just do that. Uh, the the two ones, the the ways it poses the mage outcome as the default, and the ways that you end up getting the Templar feel like you have to go out of your way to do it, which is either you listen to Colin and you like basically uh, do the right of annulment anyways, uh, mm. which I think I think that only happens if Irving's dead. Uh, or you you talk to... Colin basically convinces everyone that, like, hey, there may be Maleficarum still in the tower, like, hiding out amongst the mages, and we need time to suss out whether that's happened or not. And Irving will agree to, like, basically putting the tower on lockdown and having everyone, like, investigated and, and under closer scrutiny. And that will then result in the Templars joining you and not the mages. Uh, hmm. I thought it was interesting that, like, that last option, because it it ends up, it sounds kind of sensible in a way to just be like, hey, we should be double sure to make sure that all the mages are good, but then it results in a Templar outcome anyways and kind of feels very sour. I went with, you know, I just said, like, Gregor, what do you think? And he was like, look, everything's good. Everything's back to normal. Let's just go back to normal. And Cullen was like, what? And I was like, dude, just grow up let it go <laughs> Just back the
1: fuck off dude yeah
0: see you in inquisition well i guess two i keep forgetting he shows up in two he does uh, but
1: it's, again like it literally took me reading that that was the same guy from origins for me to realize yeah. it, was this, it was the same character because mm-hmm. there's not a strong thread there no yeah, i mean no.
2: this is like and we've talked about this like several times over the season it's like where you come from in Dragon Age Origins kind of determines, like, the things that you pick up. Like, it's, like, the perspective that you come into this universe with. Mm -hmm. So, like, Mm -hmm. when I... Because, like, I always play mates, like, I was immediately, like, I know that guy, and I have, like, a a slight investment in what happens to you in Dragon Age 2. So, that was a huge thing for me.
0: I, I, I also feel like Dragon Age doesn't make a lot of pomp and circumstance about the characters that come back, for the most part. Like, they'll usually just kind of be cameos. And then it's really only at least by, until like, like Inquisition, I guess. Yeah, like... Inquisition. I mean, there there is one immediate mission that I'm thinking of where they really just are like, guess who's back? And mm. oh, that I can't wait for us to get to that mission because that's <laughs> that's going to be fraught with emotion. Uh, hey, Eric, Damn. we have
2: ten episodes left of this game.
0: I know, right? Like, I keep I keep thinking about that. I keep going like, oh my god we will see the end of this eventually i'm for for the listeners at home again thank you for tuning in thank you for listening to us i know that week over week it must be like a little annoying to hear us constantly talk about how much this game frustrates us um ken i'm, I'm gonna have you do the shout outs this week because for a number of oh, reasons shit. that i don't want to get into right now which <laughs> i will ramp i'll vamp while you get the the shout outs ready uh, i had to reset the windows on my pc uh this is a side tangent for the folks at home uh my pc has been having all kinds of issues lately and the the straw that broke the camel's back was i was trying i have xbox game pass uh, great value like that a lot big fan put some bioware games on it please uh and i was trying to get the bastard chief collection download on my pc so i could play with some friends i want to play some halo reach with friends And through a series of errors, I somehow deleted the Microsoft Store from my Windows computer, which I told that to my friend who works in IT, like, deals with people doing dumb shit on their computers all day long. And he was like, I have seen some of the dumbest things happen, and I've never heard of that happening. So (laughs) he basically told me, you need to reset your Windows, uh, which has fixed many of the problems with my PC, but also meant that, like, all of my... Uh, all my personal data stayed, but all my apps got deleted, so I don't have the login for the NormDFM Gmail right now, <laughs> so we gotta fix that after this podcast, but that means that Ken here is gonna be reading out the shoutouts for this week for our Patreon, patreon.com NormDFM, if you go there, if you donate, you can donate certain tiers, and you will get a shoutout every week, and we would like to shout those people out right now, including...
2: <laughs> uh, Anthony matthias <laughs> <Anthony laughs> Chris Johns, Ginny Wu, and, oh, Kevin, your last name, okay, Kevin Kulikowski, I think I got that right, I hope so. If I, I didn't, so. please add Eric instead, so he can belay it to me nicely, and kindly, and, <laughs> yeah, not please, angrily. Yeah,
0: uh... All issues with the podcast uh, go directly to my mentions please blow up my notifications for any issues you may have with normandy fm or if you just want to follow us you can head over to twitter.com slash normandy fm show and you can follow the show right there don't even need to pay for the patreon but uh we would love it if you do thank you to everyone who supports us uh yeah it's i'm sorry for all the people who are out there listening supporting i'm so thankful that y'all are listening through us suffering through origins I hope you're finding some level of enjoyment out of it uh as we are but i i did want to take a moment as we kind of like ramp down this episode to like note some of the things that i enjoyed in this episode so like yeah the fade sucks but i think the the exposition we get into the circle especially if you haven't done this this origin before is really interesting i think a lot of the stuff that they did with the demons was was pretty cool uh fate aside like the desire demon and things like that were very interesting and also we finally get like a decent sense of the the kind of antagonism between the chantry and the mages and also some like background into you know, they, they talk a little bit about how the Tevinter mages were once blood mages and they could practice with impunity and uh, that's changed in the years and the Chantry and Droste were a big reason why and I think we start to get to see some of the interesting parts of that conflict in this part too, so I, I did enjoy that, I think I overall enjoyed the circle although most of that enjoyment came out of maybe the last half an hour or so of the circle and you got to skip the fate and I got to skip the fade, which, again, Nexus mods, baby, skip the fade mod. Can't recommend <laughs> it enough.
1: <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to do this episode was um, because I always I, I like the circle in the sense that depending where you are in the game it changes a lot of both your perspective also how the game treats mm-hmm. the circle as I mentioned you can come from Redcliffe you can get the mission to go talk to the mages this, I can never remember the kid's name uh, Connor the, I believe I think Connor, you know, Connor thank you You can yeah, yeah that's you can get the mission to. Why is Connor in every video game a whiny ass bitch? Anyways, uh, <laughs> that is just an ongoing thing. Anyways, um, but you you get the mission to you know to help save him. You're sent to the circle, or you could just have gone to the circle already. You could have done different things. There's different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Dalish elves, there 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 are little you know nuances that they weave in and out, but they're their own separate thing. The dwarves are primarily their own separate thing. But the circle is so embedded in Redcliffe and then a lot of other aspects that it always felt it felt interesting the different ways you could tackle that, even if it, the payoff wasn't always there. So that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to like really look at this. So I, I like the circle in that regards, plus we didn't know it at the time, but that was ultimately going to become the, the strongest storyline. Mm. in uh in the Dragon Age universe the whole mage versus Templar thing mm-hmm. uh second only maybe to elves it's it's kind of the the big the big plot line in uh in the Dragon Age universe so looking back on it now I always I always appreciated that first foray
0: yeah it is like the the conflict that always like lurks behind the scenes and then eventually bubbles up to the surface and that's why I like, I'm I'm sure Ken has thoughts on this as well, but that's why I'm really interested about the idea of a Dragon Age for taking place in Winter or having some Winter mm-hmm. mm. involvement because I would like to see how this world could evolve because for three games, we're going to have kind of this, this conflict resurface over and over again. And depending on your actions, by the end of Inquisition, you can start to try and forge a way ahead that feels like you're going to actually affect change on a broader level mm-hmm. and and create a better situation but i think involving characters like dorian and uh you know the the land of Tavinter and like seeing how that could change and also like what their issues with magic might be again magic is like kind of this thing we didn't even see in mass effect you know mass effect had biotics but biotics were much more of a oh they exist by the way and they're they're kind of a thing over there but we don't really talk too much about the space magic but
1: but biotics are a utility in the massive right. universe there's some aspects of distrust and minor aspects of it but it it, it it's a tool more than anything yep. in the massive universe magic is i mean they really go hardline on the religious stuff when mm-hmm. it comes to magic and make some comments that are mm, sometimes good sometimes not on on the nature of uh, religion versus magic and mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately i really appreciate what bioware decided they were going to do because again origins they did not decide to do this Two, they sort of decided it's really inquisition that took us in that direction Mm. so
0: ken i'm I'm interested to like hear how you felt about this this overall and like what we got out of this circle of vejai as kind of our introduction to this conflict i think it's and, you know, this
2: kind of goes back to stuff like I said before. It feels like Origins doesn't want to make a stance about pretty much anything in this universe. And mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from, you know, like we said, there, this wasn't written in a way that was meant to like have this carry forward that it ended up having That to the point where, regardless of what happens here, nothing in the universe of Dragon Age is going to change. Like, it's not... What happens in Verelden Circle is not Anders blowing up the Chantry and Kirkwall. It's not... Uh, you know. Well, spoilers can. <laughs> God forbid. <from> fi- okay. <laughs> fine, bum, whatever. Bum. Uh, it's not... That, again, that's that's a, that's a bit of a frustration for me. It's just the general lack of impact of anything that happens in this game, but it also, I guess, like... no, I don't think there's really a secondary thought of that. It's just more I'm ready... Like, I'm let down by this in retrospect, but at the time, I don't think... It was. It would be fair for me to have expected anything more.
0: So, so let me pose this to you because you've brought this up in your notes and on the podcast a few times. But like the idea that this game, you don't feel any attachment to the things that are happening because you know the outcomes. But we had the same thing with Mass Effect. I mean, you knew replaying Mass Effect One that no matter what you chose with the it was always going to turn out one way in three, and like I, I, even mm-hmm, even right. if you didn't know that playing it the first time, you obviously know that playing it what the umpteenth time <laughs> in 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 our playthrough for Norm DFM. So I'm curious as to how like this right. is different in Dragon Age versus Mass Effect.
2: Uh, for me, I think it's more that in Dragon Age, it, like what I do not affecting the future is more of a rule as opposed to like something that is occasionally an exception because like regardless of, you know, the Racknight's decision or, like, the undoing of putting Anderson towards the council in in Mass Effect 1, I know by the end of Mass Effect, I affected change. Like, things were different because I was there. Where Dragon Age Origins feels very much like my presence and my, the choices that I make are more of, like, a nuisance to Bioware's writing team because, Mm -hmm. like, they actively undo things. And that's why it's, at this point, specifically in Origins, I don't feel that same sense of investment because even though I am here, not very few people are going to remember anything I did.
0: It, it does feel like I, I think that is another like big difference between Dragon Age games is that they tend to not carry forward in the same way that Mass Effect does. Uh, you know, they're not as which which is weird because by the time you get to Inquisition, you have things like the Dragon Age Keep. Where they were very much like, oh, we want to make sure all your choices are logged and all the mm-hmm. things that you did are in here, and and in some ways it carries forward in extremely interesting ways that oh god I can't wait for us to talk about, but uh, in, in other ways you're right like there, especially with things that happen in Origins specifically, there are like retcons that happen that kind of need to happen by design. Uh, choices that are kind of determined as being like, okay, this is an outlier. This would really only happen if you're like trying to make this decision or, oh, we really like this character I want to explore her more. So we're going to find out a way for if you killed her in one, why she would then be back. I mean, the other wrinkle of this is that you're not carrying forward one character through it. Mm. You know, like the idea that you killed them in Dragon Age Origins well your Grey Warden killed them in Origins and now your Inquisitor is kind of a different character and Mm -hmm. I think that just ends up changing the overall way that you engage with Dragon Age because you're not playing one character you're playing three characters and do you approach this game differently each time or do you always kind of role play as the same sort of person I think it's a really different and interesting way of approaching these mm-hmm. games, but I can also understand how like coming from someone who can, I don't think this is a stretch to say that you'd like mass effect more than dragon age. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I can see how someone who favors the mass effect style of things would not gel with it. Whereas I, I still love mass effect too. I can't, that's like top game of all time for me, but I'm starting to like really come around to the way that dragon age handles its storytelling over time. Uh, I
2: think, but I think on that note, I feel like maybe it took three games for them to get to that point, and it took like the, the establishment of the keep and a more, or at least what what appears to be based on the one trailer that we have, of Dragon Age Four, what appears to be a more continuity focused and invested story. Absolutely. That maybe yeah. maybe the future of Dragon Age will kind of be the best of both worlds, where we are able to go to like a completely different area of this universe but maybe have that same thread of, you know, just general investment into what we've done and how we got there.
0: Yeah, it is, is weird to think that we've had so many games pop up already. Like, we, Dragon Age Origins was kind of the standalone, and then 2 was the side story that just briefly intersects with other games. And then Inquisition 3 was basically like, okay, now we're going to actually start to establish some level of continuity. We're going to lay out what the lore is. We're going to have the keep. And we're going to say, like, we are going to have a coherent, cogent, singular antagonist and plot line and thread that is going to move through this series. That is going to establish some level of game-to-game continuity that that hasn't existed until this game. And hopefully will persist into the next game. God willing. Whenever that game comes out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The one thing, you know, people... On the internet, tend to know me as the guy who loves Mass Effect. I named the business after you know Gareth Vicarian and stuff. But what I always say is, while I really do love the Mass Effect games, Dragon Age is the story I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's the world that I love. I have sunk more time in the Origins than I, I I care to think about. Sometimes uh, same with two, uh, not as much in Inquisition as I would like because that game just that that took forever it's so big i'm my first playthrough was 110 hours and it's it's just every single time i ever go back to it i'll i'll get to your uh was it skyhold like at 30 hours in, and i'm like okay i need a breather but but i still love the world i have read every book every comic i think i've only missed a couple things um i've read the um the world of Thetis, you know, two gigantic encyclopedias front to back, more times I could count. It's the world I care about. It's the world that personally I would love to write in one day if I had to choose anything. So Dragon Age always has a special place in my heart, even if I seem to have issues with almost every game in this mm. series. But the worlds, the, the world breathes life into me, almost. It's definitely the one
0: I'm more interested to see explored in in terms of like at this point i do want more mass effect at some point but i feel like with a new mass effect they would either have to do a sequel to andromeda or they would have to just come up with some completely new thing that would just create all these issues with the continuities that they've set up in the milky way and stuff whereas i feel like dragon age there's still so much to be explored and so much to be done and they haven't like let's say like salted the earth with the reapers you know they haven't like created that thing where it's like oh right we have to we have one big sweeping change that happened at the end of our series that we would need to find some way to address or we would just have to jump back in time or jump way forward in time like there's so many questions that would need to be taken care of there for another mass effect whereas with dragon age it feels like always wide open for more stories to be told in it so
1: yeah you could jump in at any point you could jump in any locale you could jump in anywhere there's so much of a world uh again that's the benefit you know the, the, there were issues with the uh the D solo aspect that we mentioned at the top mm-hmm. of the show there's issues with that with the origins but still the world they created where there just was so many locations and so many aspects really created this this place that uh this playground almost that they could just set something anywhere uh yeah pushing the story forward in time works obviously but there's still so much uh so much they could do at different points
0: yeah uh well on that note josh thank you so much for coming on the show uh we're really happy to have you on again we're gonna have to find some time to get you on later on for maybe two or something like that once we get to that season
1: whenever you get to you better bring me on for two (laughs) Uh,
0: okay on since we don't really have like a lightning round question or anything i do want to say like what what are your hot takes that you might bring to future episode of Dragon Age Two? I'm curious. Do you do you have any more like against the grain takes on Dragon Age that that you want to tease for the listeners at home?
1: I mean, we did a best of games of the decade show for constantly calibrating, and if I let me see if I could find my note here for it, um, I put Dragon Age Two as my fourth favorite game of the decade. Ooh.
0: Hmm. That is. Um, that is- that is very against and, the grain and there's no
1: other uh inquisition wasn't on that list i put it higher than any mass effects again it's Holy one oh of my favorite it, it's one of my favorite games of all time too and I do have, actually have good reasons, unlike most of my other reasons for liking stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, we are, I know, like Ken and I, are very much looking forward to playing that game again. So we will have to find some time to get you on for that. But until then, for Josh, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.
2: watched and waited.